Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and phil entrepreneurs of the regenerative movement, people who are committed to and showcase qualities of planetary leadership. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm a transformational coach, a breathwork teacher, and committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. I'm your host and creator of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Alexandra Wixell. Alexandra is an entrepreneur, coach, and creative consultant specializing in behavioral science, mindfulness, and human potential. She's on a journey to unpack the human experience through the lens of stories, stories we tell ourselves, others, stories we use to guide, to inspire, and the stories that we run our lives on. She's currently driving social impact and community communication projects with her online brand accelerator, Leap. And I'm really excited for this conversation. Welcome, Alexandra. Thank you, Julian. It's really an honor to be here with you today. Yeah, we, we you know, we already had a good conversation offline, so I'm, I'm excited to get this, this, this episode started. You have a whole story of your background, but I want to hear quite a, a bit more about Leap and what you're doing with accelerating brands in like a holistic kind of way to, you know, we just said it, like bring this regenerative way to thinking, being and feeling into yeah, the, the communication and corporate communication kind of, kind of world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the idea of Leap was really born out of, um, I come from a background in marketing and communication. I worked a lot with data in order to drive these large scale campaigns. And what I often came across in my work was that um, putting the message out there was really difficult when people and especially founders didn't know who they were or what their mission was about. And I went through this whole period of trying to help them identify their vision and mission statement and all of it, but it didn't click. There was something missing. And I realized that in order to fully get that authenticity in a brand and the impact that so many companies are looking today, we have to start within ourselves. So we have to start with what our mission is as a leader and what we came here to do and how we came here to serve. So I created Leap as this new hybrid between your best mindfulness transformational coach and your brand uh, creative consultant in order to be able to bridge those two worlds. First of all, the beliefs we hold about ourselves, our mission, our company, and then how we present that in the world. So making the connection and making it really uh, real and authentic. Yeah, I think purpose first is really the only way forward. And so for a lot of people, that means starting with, with yourself, right? How did that journey happen for you that, you know, you just continuously hear either the voice of purpose or like that, that, that calling, like, how does that look in your own world? Like, how did you unpack this idea of purpose? I find purpose to be a really interesting concept. And when I first set out on my own journey to look for my purpose, which came with a lot of uh, levels of unlearning first, unlearning of who I thought I was and who I thought um, or what I thought my role in this world was, I discovered that um, purpose is not necessarily this uh, North Star or like epiphany that just hits us one day, you know, Ta-da, I found my purpose. It's really, it's a question of exploring A, what we truly love doing, what puts our soul on fire but also exploring what the world needs and what skill sets we have in order to help solving those problems. So purpose only gets activated when we actually put it out there and when we start to guide other people, when we start to engage with other people. So 
um, for me, the discovering my own purpose has been a journey of trial and error. And the sooner I realize that it's not something that's going to hit me like a light bulb, but rather something that is going to come out of doing and engaging with the world. Um, but it's also an aspect of not just engaging, but collecting evidence for that purpose. So once you go out and you start to do something you really love, you also need to uh, continue feeding your mind like this is my purpose and this is what I'm doing in the world. So would you say that there's a quality of purpose that, you know, was like with you basically all your life? I know some people like to say that, you know, um, even when you're younger than 10 years old, some of these elements of purpose, like they're already part of your deeper intrinsic way of how you maybe ask questions or how you see the world. Would that be, would that be true for you? hundred percent. And I think we're born with a very distinct understanding of uh, what we came to this world to do. And then as we go into society, as we get conditioned by our cultures and families and environments, we lose track of that. But I don't think we ever forget. We might um, get derailed. But what I found was really interesting as I started really tapping into this power within myself, I looked back in hindsight and I realized that my whole journey until this day was all about getting there. So I've always been fascinated by understanding humans and it started at a very large scale understanding humans i studied international relations i was out working in the middle east in communications working through revolution and it started on that mass scale and then slowly narrowed down and came down to understanding the very individual unique person and our role in that larger in that larger system so looking back the journey here all of the clues were there i just did not see the umbrella concept or seeing that purpose um, guide as a guide through that. Yeah. Well, we're also not really, we don't really grow up in a society yet where these are questions from the get go of our, you know, of our journey where as children, as teenagers, we're consistently confronted with this idea of like, what's that soul seed that is slumbering within you. Right. Um, and I know you have a, a really big fascination for the human design now and like work with it as well, because it's, it's one of those many, many ways to template and to kind of understand a little deeper what, what kind of gifts are in us. Maybe if we, go from the word purpose to the word gift, like what comes up there for you in terms of, you know, every human is, is kind of a genius or born a genius. And you always said it, that the process of life is what ungeniuses us, but how can we bring out this gift more if it's not just trial and error, which, you know, I learned a lot through trial and error myself. Like this is definitely a, a prime learning uh, pathway, but like how else can we unpack our gifts and truly our gifts and not just the skills that the society needs, needs from us? I think my personal experience, so I think, first of all, the experience, you can't avoid it. Like we, as I said, like our purpose gets activated when we live through experiences and part of the human experience is, is trial and error. That's, that's how we get the wisdom. That's how we get the learnings. That's how we can grow as, as people. But there is an element in today's um, society and in the education system that is, I personally think, fundamentally flawed because we learn uh, how to navigate the world in order to fit into that mass mold, but we don't necessarily learn how to recognize ourselves. So 
um, what I do, for example, with Leap and with my founders is I start human design is such a brilliant concept in order to map out. And I mean, you know, we've talked a little bit about your design, but mapping out that sort of strategy and how you can navigate the world, not to avoid mistakes or running into some kind of crisis, but rather to uh, learn from it in the best possible way and adjust so we can stay in that flow state. And I think um, there is a really interesting movement now in the education space where people are trying to connect that research that's happening in, in consciousness and meditation and implement it in the, uh, in the education system. And I think if we can nurture this in kids very early on, like uh, getting in, them into that space of understanding who they are and, and encouraging them to pursue that. I, I was lucky to uh, be raised by parents who, despite like they, they always always had my back in terms of like find your own way but even that uh we get conditioned by our society and education so like this is what you have to do to get accepted or this is how how you have to be successful so uh, creating that space for kids to explore and continue to explore and and supporting them in that learning journey i think is really really important in order to um harness that much earlier on in mm. our lives Totally. Yeah. I mean, and, and from kids to like lifelong learning, right? Like this is something that isn't just, doesn't just go for, for children necessarily, but let's maybe expand on this idea a little bit more. So, you know, you might know that I asked this question about, you know, the education system at large. So you said yeah. creating those spaces for kids to connect with their gifts and purpose. And so if you, Alexandra, were to, you know, with a team of experts or by yourself, were to revolutionize the education system at large, what else would you do? Oh, wow. If you give me an unlimited budget, I'll give you a plan. Unlimited budget, yeah. $13 billion. <laughs> so I've always been fascinated uh, with, I've loved learning since I was a kid, exploring. Like my curiosity has been my guide throughout lives. I've always followed my heart and my soul in terms of pursuing what I love. Um, and sometimes I've gotten derailed, but I think in today's world, if we had an unlimited budget and no government restrictions or anything like that, I think creating a plan through which we can truly understand how we individually learn, because we can categorize that in certain ways, creating different frameworks. Um, I had this discussion with a friend of mine a while ago about creating um, an algorithm that basically supports that. So if you were to give, for example, the human design blueprint of a child, uh, to the teacher and the parents. They would directly be able to understand the best strategy for that child. And then using technology, using AI to train with that child so they can get access to the same information and the learning, but in their own individual way that would best suit them. Now, I think that would be a really, really beautiful way of harnessing both the consciousness, the, the sort of intelligence, but also the technology. Now, there is one part of that which is very powerful, but the risk of doing that is also that uh, we don't go through that journey of like trial and error to the same extent. And the question I would ask then, okay, if we don't do that, um, what other sort of problems are gonna come up or what other challenges are gonna come up if we take that approach? But I think there's definitely with the tools available today, um, a level of personalization and a lot of um, a level of guidance that we can have uh, and implement in the school system today. Yeah, I like this idea of individualized learning. 
um, and really understanding that we're different, we're different kind of learning types. Um, so I know that you've worked with, with, you know, talk about learning types with Cambridge Analytica for a few years where, you know, um, for the better or the worse, these categorizations of how people tick and how they can be activated, you know, what's, what's most famously done in terms of modern technology. How do you think, you know, to ask you a question in that context, how do you think we can learn from those kind of, um, yeah, past experiences or even like past mistakes? Like my question I usually ask is how, how does humanity really learn from past mistakes? But I think for you, because like what you're saying there, it's almost like if we use this for, you know, quotation marks, the, the right way, we can really support each other to, to just be on the journey of becoming a, a curiosity-based learner. Do you think that's actually possible? Like, can we actually learn from those mistakes? Or is there just always going to be a gray zone where, you know, um, if, you, if you create it in the, in the right way, it can, it can be abused and exploited in an economic sense? I think that's a really, really good question. And I think um, overall, there's always going to be people out there who want to use and harness the technology for control for power grabbing. It's part of that human desire and need to dominate and to, uh, you know, we've never, we've never in the whole experience of, of being human, we've never been able to escape that. We all have that uh, deep desire to dominate. So I don't think we can avoid that, but I think that we can learn collectively from the ways that this has gone wrong. And taking Cambridge Analytica as an example, um, what Cambridge Analytica did, for example, in the, in the Trump campaign in the US election was not necessarily revolutionizing uh, because the use of data in, in politics has been prominent since, since uh, Obama era. I mean, you can, you can give a number of examples. What, um, Cambridge Analytica did, which was different, was taking data from multiple sources, commercial, political, but also collecting that level of behavioral data on the ground on, on a grassroots level. And I think what we can learn from in that context is that it's a huge level of responsibility and thinking about the consequences that these kind of things have is really 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 important and i don't feel like the government today has the right tools or the right um, experience to be able to set proper policies uh, boundaries and regulations because the tech community is moving much faster the technology is moving much faster than we have frameworks and, and policies to support that with so i find that there's a huge need for accountability for um, for understanding how fast this is really moving in order to, to craft policies and boundaries that people are, are comfortable with. Yeah, it's a, definitely a deep rabbit hole and also fascinating. I mean, you know, from a space of education, I, I guess it's, it's like there's a hope to use all that in, in, me, in, in like mm. ways that actually just support humans to become more more human to learn the, about our own emotions to learn about our own vulnerabilities but then also to use these kind of technology pathways and data to 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 continue you know just just exchange value but but i think what we've learned with with these examples like facebook instagram youtube google you name them is that the platforms themselves are part of the message 
And so yeah. it's, 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 it's quite the interesting journey we're in, but you know, you and I were joking earlier too, that like, if we, if we were to think that these cell phones are the apex of our technology, like we might very well be mistaken. This is just the apex we know so far. So as it goes forward, I think we're still going to be set up for a lot of evolution and change in the technology sector. And these times right now, this decade right now is probably like no other decade before very, very important of how we bring values and social responsibility into the field of tech creation. Do you have a thought or two on that? A hundred percent. And I think we are at a point where um, the truth is really coming out and you're seeing that in, in every area. I mean, we said, we've seen the black lives matter movement. We've seen the whole, I mean, the wall street um, uh, movement kicking off many years ago, but it's, it's a beginning of a time where everything is surfacing. And if you think about it from a personal transformation point of view, when you're going through a crisis or you're going through a transformation, all your shit is coming up and it's coming up in a very nasty way and you're seeing your shadows you're seeing all that uh, but that is part of the truth making its way out and i think this is what we're going through now as a planet it's uncomfortable it's scary it's painful and a lot of people are suffering but the people who are the leaders of today they have a responsibility and I don't believe in a culture where we should point each other out and say that one has done wrong and they have to, um, you know, leave their position and everything. Yes, of course, if they've done a lot of bad things and they're on a bad mission, of course, but I think that there, this is an opportunity for us to really get uh, clear on this truth and understanding ourselves and the mistakes that we made in order to adjust and going forward especially like in that sort of public um pub public space truth is going to be everyone can access truth knowledge is available to everyone today and no one is going to get away with it anymore we've seen it with on a company level organizational level so as a leader the work that you have to undertake right now is to understand what is not working what is not right what is not matching with the values that I hold and then start making those adjustments. And I'm seeing examples of this um, around the tech community. It's been beautiful to see a lot of leaders stepping up. Um, I don't know if you know, uh, Mickey Graval, for example, um, head of um, Tushi, the company, she's a longstanding entrepreneur. She's really taken a role throughout this period of, of COVID and Black Lives Matter to reflect and to understand her role as a leader and what she can do, what she can unlearn and relearn in order to be a better leader. And I think that's a really, really powerful example and message that leaders out there of big companies um, should should listen to or should adapt themselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, so one of the things that comes up for me there is, is the notion of trust and how we're able to, well, trust ourselves, trust each other, trust companies, and this whole process of trust building to, you know, also the technology world that for a large part of the society is still like pretty fresh and new, right? Like um, technology itself is something that we're, we're maybe being reflected back a lot of our shadow, but, but finding this trust is a very interesting process. And so for you as a leader, for you as a person, like what is required to experience trust? I, for me personally, I think transparency is absolutely key. And I'm not just saying transparency about the process through which we do things or as a company, like these are our values or, or how we do things, but rather transparency in terms of 
what we do know and what we don't know. Because I think it's something, there's something very, very powerful about being vulnerable as a leader and being um, very relatable. So we all go through these phases of doubts. We're all going through these phases of questioning what is, what is true and what is not true. And if we don't have the space to make mistakes and we're constantly uh, being judged by our environment and our society, then it's, um, there is a risk that leaders will become um, very sort of narrow-minded. So for me, it's a process of being, I, I'm very, very honest with uh, the way I'm showing up on, for example, Instagram. I'm doing a lot of these like live talks about my own experiences. And what I find is that a lot of my clients and, and audiences, they're appreciating the fact that they can relate to a lot of the experiences that I've had. And I think as a leader, we have gone through a lot of different transformations in order to get to where we are today and sharing those transformations not only inspire and encouraging others to maybe take that leap maybe diving into what is scary and what is unknown but um but really going deep into that so i think the level of vulnerability is extremely important in order to build uh trust and being open about what we don't know and what we um, are looking to learn and seeking uh, support and advice from others that are further along in the journey on that. Mm. Yeah, beautifully put. I think what we don't know, that, that mystery, mm. that's always going to be bigger than what we do know. And, and, you know, this is maybe the biggest part of the human shadow, the human ego is, is this, you mentioned earlier, this, this desire to dominate or control or to know, um, which is just not completely connected to reality where we are floating around a sun that is floating around a black hole that we don't know anything about. So, so when we, when we adapt a bit more to the larger cycles of the cosmos, I think this, this is almost like a natural, you know, um, attitude out of the observation of how we understand life to be. And yet, of course, there is a pragmatic reality in which we, we run an economy and we run, we run nation states. I think what's, what's so interesting through the COVID crisis is that we've seen that like an economy that can collapse or at the brink of collapse within three, four months, because all of it is based on non-essential business. That for me has been a really interesting, um, almost comical wake up of like, does everyone see it yet? We've created an economy around things that are not essential, neither to us, nor the earth, nor the with each other when something really goes down. So, yeah, I find that, yeah, I find that so, so interesting because I don't believe that that uh, journey that we're going through collectively right now is any different to the journey we go through individually. So it's like a mirror of, when we go through transformations ourselves, um, and especially when we lose something, when we lose a part of our identity, if if someone has ever lost a job, they need they know that feeling of like one day you have something and the next day you don't, or uh, they lose a loved one. And what I think is so so interesting is that everything we live is temporary. We live we only have the moment in any given second, and we have this need for certainty as humans we love uh being certain about what the future is going to be it gives us uh, some kind of comfort in the moment but we when we recognize that there is nothing certain there is nothing permanent in our experience we become a lot more 
or at, at least in my experience, have become a lot more uh, resistant to, or, or a lot more resistant to trying to control the outcome. And I think at the moment where we're going through collectively with the economy and like crashing and everything changing, we're really learning that important lesson of nothing's permanent. Things can change. Sure, look at like um, uh, WeWork, for example. They were like, everybody was dying to get into their offices a year ago. And now it's like, you know, they're in, in deep trouble. So there is, a, it, it's a level of a uh, very humbling experience that we're going through as, as humans, which I also think is forcing us to re- Think what we want to bring forward and what we want to create in the future and the economy when I mean, we can go into that whole whole discussion is a whole whole different level but it's really about understanding what is what is it that we value as humans what is the thing that we want to actually uh bring forward into the new world or the new era mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I'm with you right there, Alexandra. Yo, short intermission. This is your host, Julian, for a short announcement. Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast is currently entirely self-funded from my private coaching practice and work in the world, speaking at events and teaching breathwork, meditation, as well as facilitating leadership programs. If you're at a place in your life where you're ready to level up, step forward and be all in, then this might just be for you. Have you considered hiring a coach or is it time to find someone who deeply cares for the same evolutionary revolution on our planet? If that's the case, I'm your guy. As a transformational coach, I've worked with hundreds of people at events and in person via weekly calls over various months. I'm in service to switch on humans just like you who are on the cutting edge of some of the most progressive stuff on planet Earth. And if that's not quite you yet, but that's the dream inside of you, then even more reason to reach out. Well, whether you are a successful entrepreneur, a startup founder, or an artist, I am here to support more people to deepen their planetary purpose. I've developed highly tailored coaching programs that are based on bringing out your gift into the world because I believe in a world in which we can empower and encourage all individuals to express their unique gifts. And all right, before we get back to the episode, make sure you visit my website, greenplanet-blueplanet.com mentorships or simply find your way there by clicking work with Julian and book a free consultation with me. And if you listen to the end of the episode, I will give away a discount for listeners only. So here we go. We're returning to today's episode. Right there, Alexandra. My, my question that I'd like to ask at this point is, you know, if you were to zoom out into that, like that new era being a reality and, and us, you know, at the brink, the change into the 21st century really actually changing also human behavior like if we were to say we're ancestors for future generations right what's your your vision on that your your feeling your 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 maybe like a prayer for the earth like what's your earth vision is the question in the context of seven generations thinking forward more so than backward yeah i think that's a it's a really really beautiful question and it's something that i've sort of contemplated on a lot in meditations and reflections and I believe that we are entering an era where we're no longer um, in need of hierarchies because um, it's all sort of equal we all have equal access to the same amount of information so I think in seven um, seven generations time what I'm hoping to see is a world less driven by greed and more driven by 
uh, collaboration and connection and recognizing that abundance that we live in. We live in a tremendous era of abundance. We have access to wealth that would literally feed a whole planet. If we were to just change the mindset and the belief structure we have from that scarcity to a mindset of abundance, I think we have the possibility to create an, an incredible world where resources are just distributed equally, where people are living their, their full mission and their full uh, purpose in this world. But we've also created solutions that would make it sustainable and that would make it uh, a beautiful place to be in, whether that is in the era of education or, or work or, or whatever that is. I think going from a mindset of scarcity to abundance is hopefully where we will be in seven generations time. Mm, absolutely. I mean, this transition into abundance is, is very real, you know, from a lot of perspectives for one it's it's empiric like we we empirical we we can we can actually understand it through data right um but then also it's, it's a measure of the generations that looks upon this question right like 50 percent of the world's population are younger than 27 they're all digital natives for them the entire planet is interconnected it's a normality to have grown up with satellites floating around earth it's a normality to have the internet um, and feel like a global citizen even if you're extremely poor to be connected to this bubble of information as a global citizen. So maybe to bring this, this back into the context of now, like how do you see this, this collaboration um, enter your own life, our, our collective lives, our, our kind of economic ways? Um, where can people start? Where, where can we start with, with collaborating more and, and actually something that, that is of matter and, and kind of, you know, creates a ripple of impact and a ripple of change. Yeah, and, and I think that's a really, really good question. And what I always tell people is that until you know what really lights you up, uh, you're always going to be in a difficult position to serve. And I think getting clear on what you came here to do and mm. how you want to express that is key number one, because what that gives you um, or is rule number one, because what that gives you is really access to unlimited power and energy. And I mean, you know this, you li you're living um, a life that is very aligned with what you came here to do. And, and you probably know this, like, there is no limits in terms of like the energy that you want to put out there and the people that you want to serve. It's not for you. It's not about an exchange. You know, I do this in exchange for that kind of money when you tap into that level of purpose within yourself and when you're able to serve your communities through that passion and that excitement, you're getting into that flow state on a more permanent basis, which means that you want to help more people. You want to collaborate with more people. So recognizing that, and that can sometimes be a messy, scary journey. It means letting go of a lot of perceptions of what you came here to do. I mean, for me, it was a process of unlearning. Like, I was taught from very early on that this is the hierarchy you need to climb in order to be successful. And if you don't do that, you're a failure. So just getting that belief system out of my mind and going through the process of unlearning to, to get new kind of beliefs into me was, was sort of key to unlocking that potential. So I, my mission in life is to help people get there and to really help them unlock that level of aha like 
of course this is what I came here to do because seeing that click in people for me that that's the biggest reward that's the biggest satisfaction for me and then after that being able to help them translate that into a brand into a story into a company and a mission a collaboration whatever that is that's just bonus but for me it's that moment of of course like what was i thinking yeah um, it's total click right it's like a total click when we when we match our like soul's identity with our like human kind of ego role like when when they're when they're connected and actually working together within ourselves like you know this question came from collaboration but what i'm feeling and hearing you say is that collaboration starts within yourself so you're you're actually even though you didn't call it a north star earlier but you're connected to this north star this internal north star of, of purpose yeah and your vision i mean your vision can change throughout your life i don't believe in um, I believe in defining your purpose in terms of um, what, like what you love doing and who you love doing it for. That can take many different forms. Uh, for me, the idea of like a vision and a North Star, that can, that can take a lot of different shapes. And I don't actually believe in setting visions that are further ahead than three years. So um, I work with like three-year visions in terms of like very, mm. very vivid description of what I want to create. But I think that um, there is a level of abstract sort of um, direction. What we were talking about, like, what do I want to create seven generations from now and then work your way backwards into like mm. a more vivid vision. And I think with collaboration as well, um, once we're really clear on what our uh, true powers are, we're able to understand what, we, what, what we're not very good at doing and, and matching up with other people who hold that same vision, who hold those same, belie same beliefs and use our collective force to move that forward. So we talked a little bit about this earlier before the interview, but with human design, for example, you're able to understand on such a deep level, like where your strengths lie, mm. which means that you can then collaborate with people who do who has other strengths and who has other uh power tools that you don't even have access to and from there you co-create you um you move forward it's like a complementarity right that like the yeah. if you if we look at the workplace how it's traditionally created even schools we're not really set up in complementarity like i mean it's schools have a really interesting example like where other than in schools and universities do you only spend time with peers that are the exact same age than you? That's the most unnatural thing ever. And I mean, a lot of people that homeschool and a lot of alternative schooling um, approaches, they, they see that and, and, and don't do that. They rather cluster kids together between, I don't know, seven and 12 or, or four and six or something. And so that complementarity that you're speaking towards, that's, that's really the, the real collaboration, right? Is to understand that, um, it's really hard to do everything alone. And, and so this, this conditioning and this learning of the lone wolf of like the, the, the strong man that has to create things alone, I think is, is the, the, the reminiscence of the story that is still there. But, but really when I'm in a group that is complementary to me, all strengths are covered. And I don't have to stress or worry that I'm not actually going to be able to do um, one of the pieces because that's why I have a brother or a sister or another person in that group. Yeah, and I, like what's I think one of the biggest problems today is that society and the the, the whole economic system that we've uh, that we're still operating is 
in, is structured in the complete wrong way. So think about it in like traditional corporate companies, the whole idea of like a bonus based on your personal performance is taking away that opportunity to collaborate towards a collective outcome because everyone is racing to be the best in the team, to be the best at this, to get their promotion, to climb up. And the problem, and we can go in, can go in circles about this, but like promotion, for example, in hierarchies, some people are brought into this world to be leaders and they love it. They love being a manager, you know, understanding people and, and coaching them through that process. Others, they just want to be left alone to build their stuff. So if the only way that they can access rewards and growth is by forcing themselves to become a role that they don't want to be, you're having like the whole system is flawed from that point of view. And you're going to have a company where a lot of people are going to be unsatisfied. It doesn't matter how good of a mission you have and how many amazing products you do. You're going to eventually create what a lot of people talk about a toxic environment or a toxic culture because people are just not doing what they are meant to be doing. So they try to compete against each other to just get recognition. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is really the crux of where we're at this like flip around from competition first uh, into more collaboration. I think, you know, usually people get, get quite triggered around words like competition or even utopia as like, it's either this or that, but it's, it's the shades of gray, right? Like a little bit of competition is really healthy. Uh, just like a little bit of the sense you, again, you mentioned earlier, and I found this really interesting, like this idea that all humans have like this innate desire to dominate. Well, I don't think that that in itself is a wrong experience or statement. It's just like, it has its time and its place. And it's not necessarily the modus operandus for our entire existence, our entire species, our entire economy, the way we, we look at the world, right? And so, so I guess that's the process we're really in in these next year, 10 years in this next, like in this, this era of, you know, what I would call the, the golden decade of regeneration, if we make it that, is to adjust the percentage kind of dial on how we use which quality of our human nature and how we integrate also, as you said, the, sh the shadow parts of, of what shows up. Yeah, and I think in incentives is such a po powerful way, like a combination of incentives and nudging is like the best way to get a human to do something that they wouldn't otherwise do. So um, just, I think, as leaders and especially of large corporations, like how are you incentivizing um, your staff and what kind of culture are you creating? Because ultimately we spend most people who have a job spend a majority of their days in collaborations with other people. So um, I think as we've seen with COVID, it doesn't take, it's not a question of time to change systems. Like we managed in London to get all homeless people into hotels in a matter of 48 hours. Like wow. we clearly managed to do that with uh, like something that we've been trying to do for 20 years 30 years and then suddenly overnight now they're in a position where they're they can't just kick the homeless people out again so that was born out of a crisis but i think if we collectively realize that we if if i help someone else my life is going to be better my life is going to be easier as well so it's bringing it almost back to the human ego because that's what drives us ultimately and and recondition the ego to uh, recognize the collective uh, the benefit of the sort of collective and collaboration 
yeah, I like what you're saying. The incentives for both like our more spirited, more uh, maybe like humanitarian philanthropic soul, but then also for like the, I don't want to call it the greedy ego, but like the, the plain and simple versions of how a part of each of our human works and maybe for some people more and for some people less, but uh, you know, it's setting up our society and our, our finance systems to incentivize this. Mm. That would be a massive step forward. I'm, I'm kind of like seeing, seeing a version of that drop, drop in. So this is a really beautiful exploration, Alexandra. I have one more question for you um, at the end of this interview. And this is much more pragmatic about the planet, the planet Earth and some of your favorite spots in the world. So I'm just really curious to know where people, you know, had either deeply healing times or just like the best vacation ever or just a, a place that is sacred and powerful to you. So if you were to give me three places in the world that you love, you cherish, you, you go to again, or you have like a crazy good memory, what would be those places? Oh, wow. There's so many places in this world where I truly feel at home. But um, I would say Tunisia is definitely one of the places. I used to live there for a year uh, right after the Arab Spring, and I had the opportunity and honor to really be invited into the culture uh, at every level of the society and get to know it very intimately. And Tunisia has become like a second family. And I think as a Swedish Ethiopian, uh, it's sort of right at the middle of the two. And culturally, I feel very, very at home there. Um, it's a beautiful country at the crossroad of so many different cultures. You've got Africa, you've got a Mediterranean, you've got Middle East, all in this tiny little country. Um, and it's the nature, everything is really beautiful. And being there at the time where um, the whole old system had collapsed and people were very euphoric about creating a new world with a beautiful vision was such an intimate, incredible experience. So definitely at the top of the list. Uh, Japan is also a place with, uh, that has a very special uh, meaning to me. I've always been very interested in Japanese culture, philosophy. I think the Japanese have this incredible way of um, leveraging, extracting the, hum the, the natural elements um, that we have in the world and putting it into uh, books, into design, into just experience. And I think culturally as well, it's really, really fascinating how uh, they're operating at this very ancient and very modern system at the same time um, and with everything that comes with that. So Japan, definitely. Mm, cool. um, I think India as well. India is just this melting pot of people influences experiences and and i've also had very very deep um transformational moments in india especially up in the north of india close to the himalayas so that will definitely also be and of course sweden because that's where i'm born and raised so it's always going to be home <laughs> home countries included nice well it's hard to m bring it down to three but it's always interesting to hear what different places on the planet resonate with different people for, for, for all kinds of reasons. So thank you so much for taking the time for, you know, jumping into, into some of the more visionary questions and kind of feeling into what it takes for us to create a world that, you know, works for everyone in, in not an idealistic way, but in a pragmatic and an actual way. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you for having me and for sharing your experience as well and, and your beautiful mission. So it's a big honor to be here.
Thanks for listening and here we are again. This is your host Julian. I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast and received some insights and knowledge for your life, relationships and business. If you love Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a review that really allows this podcast to reach a broader audience and share it with a friend. Let me also remind you that this podcast is currently entirely self-funded. I'm a transformational coach and mentor, a breathwork guide, and want to offer all my listeners a full 10% off my private coaching work. That is as much as $500 for a three-month program, and this discount applies for all one-on-one coaching offers, as well as some select coaching groups that I host in person. If you're curious and interested, make sure to visit the website greenplanet-blueplanet.com and click Work with Julian. Let me tell you a little bit more about my planetary purpose and leadership programs. I am committed to accelerating our human tribe, going deep into unconditioning the blocking beliefs and blind spots, enabling your gifts and clarity to amplify for aligned business, healthy relationships and overall presence with life. I have worked with hundreds of people across the world, either one-on-one in small coaching groups online or in-person at events. It is my gift to boost authentic confidence and guide you while asking the deepest questions that get you to address your dormant potential. I am an activator and catalyst for those who are ready to step into the highest version of themselves. We live in unique times and let me tell you from experience, having a coach makes a massive difference. I specialize on supporting successful entrepreneurs in unpacking their purpose and joy of life. I do work with startup entrepreneurs and artists as well and on request, I host individual breathwork mentorships. If you want to learn more, how to support the show, or suggest a guest, you can also simply send me an email. If you want to take advantage of the offer I just mentioned and claim the 10% discount, simply book a free consultation with me through my website, that is greenplanet-blueplanet.com mentorships, and mention the end of episode discount, and I'll give the discount code to you right here, right now. It's 808. That's right. That's your code right here, right now, 808. Mention it to me in our free consultation that you can book by the website and 10% are yours. That being said, thank you so much for listening today. Have yourself an amazing day. Don't forget to hit subscribe, review the show, and share it with a friend. Mm-hmm.